0: Welcome to The Upbeat Podcast, powered by CoachArt, a show that's dedicated to providing resources for families impacted by childhood chronic illness. For articles, videos, and show notes, visit our platform at theupbeat.coachart.org. Welcome everybody. This is Greg with The Upbeat Podcast, also the executive director of CoachArt, an organization that provides free arts and athletics to any child impacted by any chronic illness currently in LA, the Bay Area, and San Diego, but looking to expand across the country over the next few years. And on our Upbeat podcast, we focus on the social and emotional journey of parenting a child impacted by chronic illness. Uh, We have a really special guest today. I'm excited to be joined by Eric Reese of Rancho Santa Margarita, California. For 20 years, he was the pastor, strategist, and trainer at the world-renowned Saddleback Church. He grew the congregation there from 3,000 to more than 30,000 followers. In 2011, Eric's daughter Jessie was diagnosed with two inoperable brain tumors. Even as she battled cancer, Jessie was inspired to make life easier for other kids with cancer, which is an amazing thing that we hear from so many of our parents. And her idea for how to do that lives on today, even though unfortunately Jessie. Uh, passed away. And so after she passed away, Eric and his wife, Stacy, founded the Jesse Rees Foundation to ensure that other kids with cancer have support and resources. Eric is the author of several books, including Never Give Up, the inspiring story of Jesse and her joy jars. So thank you so much for talking with me today, Eric.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on and uh, we're honored to be part of this.
0: And so, you know, as you know, uh, we focus on this podcast on the social and emotional experience of a child being diagnosed, going through this, parenting a child who's going through it. And it's amazing how many children have a reaction like Jesse did, where when everybody's focused on how to make that child feel better, they say, well, I want to make other people feel better. And so with Jesse, that took the form of her joy jars. Can you tell us a little bit about the birth of that idea?
1: Yeah, so uh, on March 3rd, 2011, my wife Stacy and I were told that uh, Jesse had um, cancer. She um, had two inoperable brain tumors uh, that were also uh, incurable. So the doctor had told us that we would have 12 to 18 months with Jesse. So obviously, the worst news in any parent could ever hear that you're going to lose your child to cancer and the clock is ticking. So Jessie uh, went on a clinical trial that uh, led us to um, taking her up to Children's Hospital of Orange County um, on a regular basis for radiation, chemotherapy, and all kinds of other appointments and exams and stuff. And so um, just a few weeks into her treatment, we were leaving the parking garage um, and Jesse was in the back seat. My wife, Stacy, was next to me, and we were driving out, and Jesse just simply asked from the back of the car, just Mom, Dad, when do all the other kids get to come home? And mm-hmm. so uh, I remember pointing to the third floor of Children's Hospital of Orange County, uh, which is the oncology floor, and tried to share with her that there are kids that have uh, a variety of uh, diagnosis um, and are fighting different types of cancers, and some unfortunately have to stay weeks, and some unfortunately have to stay months. And the next words out of her mouth have literally changed the tapestry of my life because she simply just said a sentence with five words How can we help them? Wow. And I was just really taken back. Like, I mean, mentally, I'm like, What you just asked how you can help other kids? And I'm like, I don't, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm trying to save your life. So basically, um, we got home and uh, radiation made Jess tired. So she was laying on the couch. My wife and I went into our den to just kind of talk um, privately about what the doctors were telling us about Jesse's prognosis and how the treatment was working and all the things to watch out for and stuff. And we had come out of the den and Jesse had moved from the couch to the kitchen island and she had taken brown paper bags, lunch bags, and she was starting to write get well, smile, brave, and putting stickers on the outside of these bags. And I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, well, I really wanna give something to the kids that can't leave the hospital. So I'm making these bags and I'm gonna put my beanie babies in them. And I'm like, you really serious about this? She said, yes, I really wanna help the kids that can't leave. And I was like, well, let's talk to the hospital to make sure this is even possible. And so the next day we did, and they did they said yes, Jesse can do it. There are some rules. Um, they have to be new toys, age appropriate, nothing sharp, nothing choking, no lotions. And they didn't like that they came in the bag because um, the the, how, the hygiene and stuff of the kids. They just wanted to keep the the cardboard and the. Paper bags out. And so um, we came home and shared with Jessie that she could do something like that. And so her middle name was Joy, and Joy and Jars just kind of went perfect together. And so she created Joy Jars, and they're 64 ounce plastic jars stuffed with uh, age appropriate toys, games, and activities for kids fighting cancer um, as little as about six months up to 18. And during Jessie's 10 month and two day fight, she moved to heaven on January 5th, 2012. Um, She actually stuffed with her family and friends over 3,000 Joy Jars. And now, as of January 2020, we've now sent 310,000 Joy Jars to kids fighting cancer in all 50 states and
0: 43 countries. That's incredible. That's absolutely amazing. And so what did you think when that was her reaction, not only just sort of in passing, but then when she stuck to it so much, what was your response to that being sort of how she was coping with this?
1: Well, you know, we just basically said, hey, the doctors and the nurses and the hospital said you can do it. So let's do it. So you know, she found comfort. She found purpose. She found excitement in doing it. It gave her something because she no longer could go back to school. And so we were just 100% behind it because if it made her happy, then great. I mean, I was still trying to find, you know, some doctor to tell me that it was a misdiagnosis and all that. And the, the treatments were starting to impact her her body physically. And so, you know, she loved to you know, some days it would only be a couple jars she would make and other days it would be 20. And then she started to blog on Facebook. um, And she started getting this following of other people and people wanting to know how she was doing. And then that's how she found people found out about her joy jars. And then, you know, she loved shopping on Oriental Trading. Um, She loved buying rubber duckies and different types of toys and stuff. And so as more and more people were asking for these joy jars, you know, that's when Stacy and I decided, you know, we need to create a vehicle to try to raise some additional money instead of just draining our savings. And so that's when we decided to create a foundation. And we created the foundation when Jesse was with us. Um, initially, uh, we called it the Nigu Foundation because Jesse's motto was Nigu. N-E-G-U stands for never ever give up. And so we thought, okay, well, we'll just call it the Negu Foundation because Jessie didn't want it to be anything about her. She never wanted to be in the limelight whatsoever. She just wanted to help, you know, kind of create some smiles of other kids. And so we created the foundation and I'd asked her, you know, do you want your foundation to be about care or to be about cure? And she said, care, daddy. And so, you know, we, we don't focus on curing childhood cancer. We focus on curing bad days. And uh you know someday I hope the cure people put us out of business because that'd be an awesome day. Um, but until that time, three hundred thousand children are diagnosed with cancer around the world every year, and so we're on a mission um, and uh, you know we'll continue to try to figure out ways to do it, but we're on a mission to reach every one of those kids and give them a joy jar and encourage them to never ever give up and um, we have a bunch of other programs that we offer families and stuff but uh you know, going back to your original question, you know, we were just excited that Jesse had something to focus on and she really wanted to do it. And so we just kept encouraging her. Um, if she would have said, I don't want to do this anymore, we would have stopped. It wasn't our idea. She just simply wanted to do something. So we gave her the, we found the resources for her to do it.
0: Yeah, that's so inspiring. and And I love the distinction of, do you want to care versus cure? Is that a distinction that that you had? Uh, was that your own distinction? Is that something that that you had heard before? And, and oh, were you surprised that she was entirely interested on the on the in the care side? I did
1: come up with just the concept because I was obviously knew that there was um, other foundations out there focusing on raising money to cure childhood cancer um, and. But Jesse was really kind of more focused on you know just encouraging it and supporting them, which kind of felt felt more towards the care side of things. Um, and you know, <laughs> to be completely honest, when you're filling out the documents to start a foundation, you got to answer a bunch of questions, and one of them was you know is this or we're going to be raising money to you know give out grants for research and stuff. So you know there was some just specific things that I needed to a- get answered, and so I wanted to kind of make sure we were honoring the heartbeat behind Jesse because it was really just something that we were doing. And we didn't know if it was going to continue after Jesse lost her fight. Um, we just did it as a way for her to feel happy. And she loved doing it. So we just kept figuring out ways to raise some money. And it, you know, cost us about back then about $25 to, you know, uh, stuff and send one joy jar to a child fighting cancer and um, so you know we just went on a mission to try to raise some funds so she could keep buying rubber duckies and toys and stuff in joy jars in the
0: garage. Incredibly inspiring. I know uh, your two other children, uh, obviously you know the, the, so much of the focus when a child has a diagnosis is, is on the patient and it can have such a complicated impact on the other kids in the family. How did your two other children cope with? the diagnosis and, and Jesse's journey as well. Well,
1: um, we never told Jesse or her older sister or younger brother that she was terminal because, you know, we have a very strong faith and we believe that there could have been a, a miracle um, and that, you know, we had found one or two kids that had made it 36 months and stuff. So we weren't going to put a damper on her life and just go, guess what? Your life's going to end. So we tried to keep things as normal as possible. Um, We, you know, we obviously did our best to try to keep the other kids engaged and, you know, give information as much as we could. Um, We didn't really even talk about the, the full clinical term of what she was fighting because we didn't want her older sister to be Googling it or finding out more things about it. But, you know, again, you're just in the middle of chaos as a family trying to figure out how to survive and how to breathe. And so there's no book you can buy, there's no you know cookie cutter approach. Every parent has to do their best and every parent does trying to do their best at trying to understand what is the emotional needs and physical needs of our of our kids and our family as a collective and and, and as individuals. Um, and so you know you do your best to try to encourage them. You know after Jessie lost her fight yeah i mean it was it was devastating for all of us and to see you know um her sister and brother um have to go through the loss um at such a young age um and still live with that pain and that realization every day of their lives you know it's it's something that uh we have just chosen as a family to continue to embrace and help others and um we're grateful that we get to do what we get to do. And that now, you know, her, her brother and sister are doing incredibly well. Her sister just graduated college. Her brother graduates high school. He'll be going to college. And so we're trying to give them, you know, as much of a normal life as they possibly can, knowing that they're still part of and will ever be part of Jesse and our foundation. And, you know, they play parts in the foundation too. And so we're grateful for that. But yeah, no, we, uh, you know, we're part of what we call the third circle. Um, There was a great study done by Indiana University about what's called the resiliency factor of kids and Mm -hmm. families and caregivers impacted by terminal illness. And the report shared that You know, when a child receives and family receives encouragement from the first circle, which is mom and dad, the second circle, which is extended family. But when there's continual stimulus coming from the third circle, which is basically the community, those kids, and they had this research that basically shared that those kids had a higher resiliency rate. Than those that didn't have that type of stimulus and encouragement. And so we do focus on caring and curing, you know, and, and, and curing bad days, but we really just want to try to be that part of that third circle for these families to know that they're not alone and know that they're loved, that there's a, a source of encouragement and a source of resources out there to help them in their fight um, because you know they're they're struggling and trying to figure out life and all that is being thrown at them, just like Stacy and I had to do. So we're just trying to pass on what we've learned and try to wrap our
0: arms around as many families as we can. Yeah, that, that's such a beautiful concept. And I had not heard of that, but I think that's one that's uh, the third circle idea definitely resonates just with all of the families, uh, the stories of so, of so many families that, that we meet and work with. One question that that, that brings to mind uh, so you talked about, you know, that there is no playbook or resource guide that you can go to, uh, particularly for the social and emotional elements of, of dealing with this as a family. And, and in some ways, identifying that, looking around for that and not finding anything was part of what made us want to start the upbeat, was to start to create a place where parents did share their experiences and tips and advice uh, that other parents could, could then access as a resource, particularly around the social and emotional elements. So can you talk through a little bit how you and your wife, Stacy did go about making decisions about how you wanted to handle the social and emotional parts of things? Was there any type of resource? Did, did you make those decisions on a case-by-case basis? Do you feel like there was an overarching sort of um, concept that, that uh, you tried to apply to how to how to deal with this uh, as, as a family from the social and emotional element?
1: Yeah, I mean our our little daily motto was ETD embrace the day and so you know from a from a social aspect I mean we again tried to make sure that our kids had as much normalcy as they could um it was hard for sh- for Jess because her body was physically changing losing hair becoming weak in a wheelchair and so friends that we you know that were friends in you know, when she was looking normal, and and at school, you know, slowly started to drop off. So that hurt. But we just, you know, continued to try to pray with her and encourage her and bring people around her life that um, maybe, you know, wouldn't judge and just accepted her the way she was. And so, you know, we did our best from a kind of a social aspect, families would call and say, Oh, what can we bring Jesse, we'd always say, You can bring Jesse anything, but you also have to bring something for JT and Shea because we didn't want them to feel like it was all about Jess. And so, like even one of the programs we do is we help super sibs and encourage super sibs because we know sometimes they just get left to the sidelines, not in not intentionally, it's just the reality. And then from the mental aspect, I mean Jesse's motto, never ever give up, is just a mental mindset of perseverance, strength, hope. And so we use that as a mental mindset for our family is, you know, I was not going to give up on trying to find a cure. We weren't going to give up on just letting the doctors tell us everything. We were going to make sure we owned our child's treatment. And it's one of the things that I talk to families all the time about is make sure that you feel like you still own your child's treatment just because a t- doctor saying one thing you know ask questions to make sure you th- feel like you have the best perspective to make the best decisions for your son or daughter and then you know I th- we also b- believed as a family is you know we did these little things called peaks and pits you know talked about it and at dinner is like okay what was a peak of your day and what was a pit of your day and it just helps kids get out emotions around highs and lows of their life and stuff. And you know, Stacy and I both committed that we were not going to go lock ourselves in a closet and not show any emotion. Um, we weren't going to get completely distraught in front of our kids because we didn't want them to feel insecure that mommy and daddy are crying so bad. Or we didn't want Jesse to carry the burden of feeling like, oh my gosh, look what look at the pain that I'm causing my mom and dad because that is a reality that happens to these kids. And so we would also share our pits and peaks, but we'd always tried our best to just stay positive. And, and again, our faith plays a huge part of our life and, you know, keep everything wrapped and bathed in prayer and, and trust God the best we could um, each and every day. And um, that's what we did and did it to the best of our abilities. And we still do it today.
0: And And it sounds like in being really intentional about the people that you surrounded Jesse with and surrounded your family with, you were sort of implementing that third circle idea. Had you come across the, the third circle concept while you were in the midst of this? Or was that just a coincidence that you were sort of using those principles but then found that label later?
1: Um, I had done some research um, around kids fighting cancer when Jesse was fighting and that's when I got connected to this doctor at Indiana University and just learned more about what she was studying because I wanted to find out, you know, even just from a clinical perspective, is there any validity in hearing and kids being encouraged to keep fighting and stuff? Um, I found it. And so, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to decide who you're going to let into your third circle because again, I can only speak from my <laughs> My journey some some people ask how you're how you're doing and then next thing you know you share and next thing you know you're now having to carry their burdens because they're overwhelmed and all that so you know you 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 start to be intentional about what you say and how you say it um, not only for your own protection but also in some ways just to not have to have to end up carrying other people's emotions when you're trying to figure out how you're going to deal with your own emotions at the same time. Um, I think is also helpful for Stacey and I that we, you know, sought a family counselor. They were giving us keys to having communication, having conversation, you know, how to have conversation different with Shaya than with JT because there's a, you know, a six year age difference between the two. And so we, you know, you, you had to talk differently You know, the importance of reassuring those kids that, you know, you're still there for them, still making sure that they feel that they get the time, energy and attention as that they've always had, or at least a a level that they still feel that um, from. So, you know, and Stacey and I still see the the family counselor uh, once a month. And, you know, it's been eight years since Jens moved to heaven, but, you know, it's like, you know, your oil in your car, you got to get it changed once in a while. And so we just believe in, you know, having somebody there is to talk to and help us continue to make sure now and and on this side of the fence that, you know, our marriage is as strong as it it can be. And we're still providing the strength to our kids because, unfortunately, um, the divorce rate of families that lose children is unfortunately, very high. And we just don't want to fall into that trap.
0: We have a relationship with a doctor who says that's one of the first things that he talks to parents about is, you know, the first topic is, here's the medical diagnosis of your child. The se- second topic is, here's information that I can tell you sort of contextually about how this tends to affect families and, and divorce rate, et cetera, and, and sort of things that you should be doing to approach that. I want to ask you uh, the, the acronym that I know you came up with, LOSS, L-O-S-S. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and, and what that means to you and your family?
1: Well, that was, I wrote that in the book that I'd written called Never Ever Give Up. And I guess it was just my way to try to encourage families that have dealt with loss, because there's two ways to, you know, you can either be bitter or you can be better when it comes to loss. And that, again, that's just my point of view, but, and so the whole concept of letting others serve and support was what I felt is one way to look through the lens of the reality that you've been given. It's not, it's a crappy reality, but it's, it is a reality and you have to keep breathing and you have to keep moving. And so just like Jesse decided to do by focusing on helping others, one way to kind of embrace loss is to say what can what can we or one person or a family unit or a couple how can we help others and we focused on just doing that and embrace what we were doing and helping people know that we're there for them and we're going to continue to be there for them
0: and jesse's story is such an amazing example of uh, just, we, you know, what we see over and over again, which is the, the silver lining sometimes of the impact that these diagnoses have on families as to, you know, a, a mindset that we could bring to our uh, day every day as well. Um, so you've mentioned all the amazing success uh, that the Jesse Reese Foundation has had to date um, can you tell us how people can get involved today, and, and um, what folks who are listening, who might similarly be inspired, who their own hardships, but how they might be able to get involved in, and help others?
1: Yeah. So you know, first and foremost, you know, if anybody listens to this and either has a child fighting cancer or knows of a child fighting cancer, we'd obviously love to encourage them and provide them uh, support resources for the child and for the super sibs and for the parents. So you know. There's any any sort of recommend you know referral or letting people know about us. Um, we we would be grateful to be able to help families and those kids. Um, you know, families can I mean listeners can always go on social media and donate a like um, at our Facebook, Instagram, or uh, Twitter is at Team Nigu, so T E A M N E G U. Donate a like and follow us there, and then people can also go to our website which is N-E-G-U dot O-R-G. And you know, there's all kinds of ways to get involved and volunteer and help no matter if it's uh, locally here in South Orange County or in other parts of the country. Um, we're, we're grateful to have partnerships with um, about 300 care facilities around the country. And so um, we're, we always have volunteer opportunities that uh, for people locally. And, nationally.
0: and if folks are interested uh, in checking out your book, Never Give Up, um, where can they find that?
1: You know, Amazon, you know, it's definitely there. And so that's probably the easiest place to get it. Um, I would just go to Amazon and type in Never Ever Give Up and or Jesse Reese and it'll pop up.
0: And so if you're listening and you're interested in uh, Never Give Up, the inspiring story of Jesse and her joy jars, you can find that on Amazon. Um, and to check out uh, the Jesse Reese Foundation at negu.org, N-E-G-U.org, or on the social handles at Uh Eric, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I've been so excited to speak with you. And I think it's really obvious with your background and career as a pastor, your ability to talk about these concepts in really relatable ways. Shines through with this as well. It it feels like, and there were so many really interesting way. Hearing the way that you thought about uh, the experience that you had, and some of the concepts that you were able to relate about going through it. Uh, you know, the, a lot of really interesting tips, but also just hearing the, the way that you thought about different elements of this journey uh, was really insightful and, and something that. I think our listeners really benefited from as well so thank you again so much uh, for taking the time today and we're incredibly grateful
1: well thank you again for having me and keep up the great work and uh i hope you have a, a great rest of your day too
0: thank you You can find more content like this at theupbeat.coachart.org, where we have blog posts, podcasts, and YouTube clips, as well as a Facebook group that you can join and share your own helpful advice with other families who are dealing with social and emotional questions about kids going through chronic illness. So we hope to see you there. Thanks so much.